Well, over the next few months, we're going to be looking at discipleship and what that really means for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, when we see a video like that, when it says, I'm ready to be myself, uh, from a cultural perspective, that would say, look inside of you and discover everything about yourself that you want to be and just take that going forward. What, what we do from a Christian perspective is we spend time with Jesus in prayer. We spend time with Jesus in the Word and allow His Holy Spirit to essentially hold up a mirror to us and say, what does that look like? What does it look like when we're being discipled into the image of Christ and what he's, the work that He's wanting to do in us? And, and so one of the things that that means is that you are uniquely created in God's image. There's not another one like you. And we hear that all the time. There's nobody like you. And we think, yeah, but what, what does that mean? What, what does that even look like? How, how does that change me in, in any way? And we want to spend some time over the, the coming time looking at what does it mean when Jesus Christ really gets a hold of our lives in discipleship and we begin to live that out. Now, the reason it's important, the reason that we're kind of diving deep into this idea of a grow, growing level or a deeper level of discipleship is because sociologists, when they look at, and, and, and you look at uh, polls done within churches, when they look at people within the church, so we, just, we say within the church, we just say Christians. When people poll Christians, when sociologists look at Christians, in the American culture, what they found is that the life that they see is largely not any different than that the, what they see in the culture. So there's so many similarities to the way that Christians live their life to what's in the culture of those who don't identify with Christ that they say the difference is almost negligible. It's like it's hard to tell that we're actually living for Jesus at all. And so that's really challenging for us because it basically says that Living for Jesus or having an encounter with Jesus Christ hasn't moved us to the point of people being able to identify what a Christian looks like. It still largely looks the same as everybody else in the culture. The reason that that's a problem is because Jesus called us to a life that was meant to be different. Now, when I say different, uh, it's not meant to be goofy and weird, (laughs) So that doesn't mean that we walk on clouds and we see spiritual things and everything, you know, and, and uh, people just kind of look at us as though we're more spiritual, you know. We don't pray all of our prayers in that thou hast in the King James language and that somehow that's what makes us different. It's supposed to be something that has changed within us, that has so changed us and affected us that it begins to reflect on the outside. When we come in and we're adopted into God's family, and that's such a good word for what happens when we become a Christian, when you accept Jesus Christ and you say, I accept Jesus's, uh, Jesus Christ's sacrifice for me, that that is enough for me to have a relationship with the Father, that He bridges the gap between my sin and my brokenness and my way of life so that I can know the Father. When that happens, that that's enough for me to have a relationship with the Father, and I'm adopted into His family. So one thing, if, if you've ever been around adopted families, one thing that often happens, and it's such a good picture of what happens, because 
the individual who's been adopted into the family now is no longer part of their old family. They're, even though they have a history, even though they have experiences from that previous family, they're now included into that new family. And the culture of that new family is intended to be part of their new life. It's part of their new culture in which they live in. That doesn't mean they have lost their own identity completely. It means they bring with them who they are into this new family. But see, when you come into that new family, you don't live by your old experiences. You now live as part of that new family. So one of the challenges in the previous statements that I made about Christians not really experiencing the fullness of life that God has purchased for them is that in some ways, and and I'm not throwing mud here, it's just the reality is that in some ways we've been adopted into God's family, but we still live by old rules, our old nature, our old family lifestyle without experiencing the life that Jesus Christ has purchased for us. So as we look at what we want to see happen in our lives. Now I say we, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if we look at what it is that God wants to do in us and through us, is it by adopting us into his family, he wants us to experience the life that Jesus Christ lived. Now, you can go out in the culture, you can go out in, on the streets, you can just ask, ask people, you can just say, what do you think about Jesus? I have yet to meet somebody who says, yeah, Jesus was a bum, And his life, I I wouldn't want to mimic anything about him, right? I mean, it's just, it's absurd to even say that. People look at him and look at his life. Anybody who's read anything about his life and they say, you know, incredible teacher. Even if they don't think he's Lord and Savior, you know, amazing teacher, uh, incredible influence, life changer, uh, world changer. So many different things they would say about the person of Jesus Christ. And so the desire would be that we would reflect those same things, that as adopted sons and daughters into the family of God, that we would reflect the life of Jesus. Well, to get to that point, we have to go back to where our thoughts, our attitudes, where do our actions originate out of? And we're going to go to Matthew 23 in just a moment where Jesus addresses this issue. So let's pray as we come to the Scriptures. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you lived a life for us. Thank you that you lived a life that is, uh, you lived it in the flesh and as a man, and that you emptied yourself of your heavenly rights and privileges, so that when we look at your life, Lord, we don't have the excuse of saying that you did all of that because you were God, and it puts it out of reach of us. Lord, you did that very thing. You emptied yourself so that we could look at your life and say, we can follow you. We can pursue you. Because of the way that you abided in the Father, the way you spent your life listening to the Father, you modeled for us and showed us the pathway to a real fruitful life, to a life that is, as you said, abundant. And so that's the type of life that we're desiring. So help us to get there, Lord. Illuminate the Scriptures this morning, that we would see you, that we would know you, and that our lives would match up what you said that they can be, abundant life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So let me um, be clear about the text I'm going to read because the header, if you have a Bible that puts the little headings in there, again, just parenthetically, those weren't originally in the text. Chapters, verses weren't in the letters that were sent out and those little subtitles that you see periodically in the Scriptures, those weren't there. They weren't included uh, when the letter went out to uh, the churches or when the Gospels were written. Those were added later on to help us be able to navigate and understand what, what we're about to read. So, so if you have one of those Bibles that has little headers in there or subtitles in there, this one talks about the woes to the Pharisees. It talks about the woes that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. So you say, might say, whoa, hey, um, you're getting a little bit, you know, critical here, right? We're starting in with woes first thing Sunday morning. But let me be clear, nobody, again, is throwing mud. I'm not calling you scribes and Pharisees. Uh, Jesus, in fact, when he was speaking to the crowd, he was speaking to the crowd and his disciples about scribes and Pharisees. So he wasn't pointing these things out and saying, you know, you guys are doing this. He's saying, hey, watch out that you don't live your life like these guys, okay? And so we're doing the same thing. We're putting it in that context this morning. We're bringing it up as a warning to each of us that if we want to be followers of Jesus Christ in the same way that Jesus said, let me tell you some problems about the scribes and the Pharisees and the way that they approach their relationship to God as a warning to his listeners and specifically his disciples, but everybody who was in the crowd at the time that he spoke it. So we come into this passage, Matthew 23, and I've actually dropped down a bit. I'm not going to read the first of the, the woes, but as you can imagine, they're not, they're not light. <laughs> they're heavy. Uh, they're very critical of the, the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus addresses issues in their life. He, he had a lot of problems with the way that they approached their relationship with God. Because in essence, they functioned as gatekeepers. They put all kinds of burdens on people and said, you must uh, uh, please God by your actions. And we'll tell you when you've gotten to the point where you're pleasing enough to God is when you're pleasing enough to us, then you're pleasing enough to God. And so they put those types of burdens and, and just weight on people religiously. And so it's important for us just to look at this to understand how we can identify the problems that Jesus saw with their life so that we too can avoid it. So Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28, uh, Jesus speaking to the crowd. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee! First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Whoo! <laughs> It's like both barrels, right? Just coming out, blazing. Jesus is calling them out. And in this particular section, these, these two woes that Jesus is calling out, He's addressing the outward issues that they're, that they're taking care of, but the inward neglect that they have in their own lives. 
So again, this is one of the things that Jesus is telling his listeners. He's saying, hear me in this. Don't do this. Don't follow the scribes and the Pharisees in their approach to their relationship with the Father. Because in their approach, they give great attention to the detail on all the externals, all the things that people can see, but they neglect what's happening in their heart. They neglect the inside of their life. And they view that they have this idea that as long as everything on the outside looks good, as long as the show is up to the performance level that they like, that everything's going to be okay. And Jesus is calling them out and he's saying, they've got it wrong. In fact, he's very, very helpful in his instruction when he talks about the, uh, he says, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. He's referring to their practice of their uh, ceremonial washings. So before they would do certain things that the plates, the cups, all had to be washed a very specific way in order for their plates and cups to be ceremonial clean. And Jesus uses that example to tell them, listen, inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee saying spiritually, you're, you're not seeing what God really wants of you. He says, first clean the inside of the cup, which again, now he's carrying that analogy to them as individuals, clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. So here's one of the things that we we can take out of this understanding of this is measuring spiritual life only using outward activity invites comparison and arrogance and turns us into gatekeepers. Measuring spirituality only by external activity is going to invite comparison and arrogance and turn us into the same things that the scribes and Pharisees were, which were spiritual gatekeepers. Who has access? Who's spiritual? Who's not spiritual? And making those decisions, both on our own life and on the lives of others. If the only thing that we look at is how much activity we're doing and the measuring stick that we use is others, how do I know if I'm doing enough? Well, if my measuring stick is spiritual activity, most likely I'm going to look around at the people around me and say, how do I compare to them? So if my neighbor doesn't go to church at all, doesn't read his Bible or her Bible, doesn't really have fellowship with other Christians, my measuring stick's pretty low. I don't have to do a whole lot in order to match up and feel good about where my life is at. But the challenge is if I have some friends who, you know, they seem to love God and they seem to be pretty devoted and they read Scripture, they go to church every Sunday. Now, I've missed a couple Sundays. My measuring stick is pretty high and now I'm, I've got some trouble because how am I going to measure up with my activity unless I match their activity? When the outward appearance and the activity of, of our spiritual lives is just measured by those around us, then we start being critical of ourselves. We start being critical of those around us. We start using everybody else as my measuring stick about how I'm doing. Jesus, instead, points them back to themselves.
Jesus turned this on its head when he told them all this outward stuff. He doesn't tell them that they shouldn't do outward things. In fact, earlier there's another portion where he talks about their offerings. They get these very specific offerings. They've read the law. They understand the law. They get it down to their dill offerings. <laughs> I love it. They, he gets it nailed down to very, not just, you know, lambs, not just, you know, their, their uh, certain grain. They get very specific, their dill. He goes, you got the dill offering. You're good with that. But you miss justice. <laughs> you missed mercy. You, boy, you got that dill offering just counted out and measured and you're bringing it. You're bringing that dill offering hard. <laughs> but you don't love. But you don't show compassion. And so Jesus is just pointing out to them the irony, like you're so focused on all the outward stuff, you don't even know what's happening inside of your heart. <laughs> You've turned a blind eye to it, and you're giving yourself to the attentiveness of all your activity, but not to the presence of God in your life. So here's the different thing that Jesus tells us to measure by. The Christian life is one that is intended to be lived from the inside out. And Larry Crabb in his book, Inside Out, he has a book titled that, is a fantastic read. It's an older book, but uh, Larry Crabb, uh, C-R-A-B-B, and again, it's a number of years old, but it addresses that very issue. It says, listen, the same thing that Jesus is saying here, listen, if you are going to live your life by externals and judge whether or not you're doing okay only by the externals, you're going to have a life that's constantly up and down, struggling, and you're just, you're just not going to find the life that Jesus has called you to. If instead... You can begin with what Jesus addressed them, the scribes and the Pharisees here. He says, you can begin with your life, your inner life with God. And then allow the outward life to be the outgrowth of what's happening inside of you. You're going to have much more of the life that Jesus has called you to. We start with changes that come from within, and what is born out of our life is the fruit of what is happening The fruit of the Spirit, which we see in Scripture, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Wait, let me back up. Did you hear those? Love, joy, peace. Not washings, not dill. (laughs) Things that happen inside of you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Self-control. Where do we go buy some patience? Right? Show me the Bible study that's just going to cause patience just to happen in me. Give me, give me the church service where uh, mercy, I just attend the church service and mercy just flows out of my life. Give me that service, God. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Right? Wouldn't we love it if we just showed up at enough stuff and did enough Christian things that that stuff would just be on us? It would just stick to us. Boy, I'm living it because I've been doing enough stuff. And now it's just part of me. It just, it's like Velcro. It just sticks to me and you can't get it out. Here's the problem. It doesn't happen that way and you and I know it. It happens because you're following in the way of Christ 
And He's changing you from what's inside and it's showing up on the outside. You always hear people say, I don't want to pray for patience. (laughs) What does patience look like? Patience looks like the person in front of you with their blinker on and stopping at the light and also looking at their phone and not moving forward. When the light turns green and you're still stuck there. That's what patience looks like. And the irritation level just starts rising. And then one long drop on the horn and then two more just to give it a little more emphasis. Patience shows up when you go to the grocery store and this line's too deep and then this one's one deep so you start moving over there but then that person has 35 coupons and then this line is the one you get waiting in and that one goes on faster and you just think, I picked the wrong line again. I did. I picked the wrong line. I'm not lying. That's what patience looks like. But we pray, God, I want this fruit of the Spirit just to flow out of me. You know how it flows? It gets worked into you before it flows out of you. We ask God for compassion. And then we see somebody who's struggling. And God will tell us that's your opportunity for compassion. That's how we grow in our capacity for compassion. The Christian life is one that's intended to be lived from the inside out. And here's where it comes from. A life that has roots deep in the life of Jesus produces the life that Jesus provides. What I mean by that is if you were to go into churches all throughout the United States, and I'm just going to address our country because that's the church I'm most familiar with is the church in the United States. The question we'd have to ask ourselves, the question we'd have to ask as we look at the church is, how deep do our roots go into the Jesus life and how much of the life that we're experiencing is being drawn up out of that richness and the depth of our walk with Jesus Christ so that we're really experiencing what he called the abundant life versus how much of it is that root system that when you first plant, and I've been getting so much of, seeing so much of the planting because we've we've had so much work going on around here. I'm so thankful for the different people. This is just a little plug I'm throwing in, is so much of the work that we've been doing, if you look out at our landscaping, people have been doing a a lot of just getting different plants in, and it's really come along, and and so I just appreciate so much of the work that's been, been going on. But but uh, Joel Richmond, you know, he was, he was walking me through, you know, about planting. Because you get these plants that have been in the pot for a while. And so I take it out and, and Joel's showing me, he says, look at the roots. They've been in the pot for a while and they haven't been transplanted. So the roots are just going around and around. They have nowhere to get down into. So they're, they've been in this pot and they, ha- they, they just don't have a place to go down any farther. So they're just kind of winding around. And so you've got this root ball it's right here. What does it want to do? It wants to get down into the ground, right? It wants to go deep down to the soil and start spreading out. But because it's shallow, it's just got this root that just kind of keeps going around itself. And, and uh, you, you put it in the ground and it could easily just be ripped right out, right? If I did that within the uh, first couple of months, I could just grab a hold of that stem and pull it out. You go to a plant that's been in the ground 10, 20 years, you get a hold of it, good luck, right? Pulling that thing out because the root system has gone deep in. It's stretched out. 
and it's, it's spread out too, so it's got excellent roots just to anchor it down into in which it can draw the, the nutrients and the water up from. Such a good picture about our life in Christ. That's why we're, we're focusing on this idea of growing deep. How many of us would say, how many times would I say that my life is deep enough, my roots in Christ and my fellowship and my time with Jesus are deep enough that when trouble comes, when something tries to pull me up out of that soil, how easy is it for that circumstance? How easy is it for the enemy of my soul, Satan himself, just to grab onto one branch and just kind of pluck me up a little bit, <laughs> disrupt my, the whole root system that I thought was so anchored in because I was doing so many good Christian things. But was I spending the time with Jesus anchored and settling my roots deep within Him? A life that has roots deep into the life of Jesus produces the life that Jesus provides. If I just do the outward actions but don't look at what's happening inside of me, I'm taking my old life and I'm slapping a Christian label on it and I just keep moving forward as though nothing ever really changed except the outward appearance. When I was, uh, my first car, and I'll just give you one more example. When I had my first car, it was a 1974 Audi Fox. And, um, you know, I thought, ooh, that sounds cool. You know, European car. I'm 15. It was, it was right before I got my license. And it sat in front of a gas station, $450. Audi Fox dent in the, the back. And it just, I thought, this will be cool. I have a, you know, a cool European car to go in. And got in it. And it was really cool, you know, for the first week. And then we had this road close by our house. It was, it was kind of the, the main, it's kind of like I-70 business, you know, that goes around the back. And, and so you get on there, and, and I would hit my blinker, I'd turn on to there, and I'd look in my rearview mirror, and the speed limit was 45, and I'm looking in my rearview mirror, and I'm thinking, I'm not going fast enough. And my pedal was all the way down, and it just would go, it was one of these, you'll, hear, you'll recognize it. And it just shifted hard, and it just dropped down every time. It was automatic. And getting to 45 took me every bit of what seemed like a minute 30 just to get up to that 45-mile-an-hour limit. And so I'm always in my rearview mirror thinking, did I give myself enough leeway so that I don't get rear-ended? I figured out why the dent was in the trunk of the car, is it just didn't go fast enough. So my Audi Fox was so cool. It just looked awesome. It, it was clean. The interior was all together. But listen, I had trouble getting to 45 miles an hour. If I wanted my Christian car, because I had a nice bumper sticker flipped on the back of it. Well, actually, not that car, my next one. But if, if I wanted my, my car to, to go well, just changing the outward appearance, giving a new paint job wasn't going to make it go better. I needed something under the hood that was going to get it going. You get in the picture, right? It starts from the inside. We don't just slap labels on things. We don't just do actions and therefore now it's Christian and it's Jesusized. It's not a word, but it's, it's not, it somehow is the life that Jesus wants to produce in us. 
We have to change the engine. We have to change it inside. It all has to be reshuffled. Now, some people would say, didn't that happen when I said yes to Jesus? Behold, everyone in Christ is a new creation. Every, the old way is past. The new has come. Yes, what Jesus accomplished for you is enough to make you righteous and holy in front of the Father. It's enough. You're not working your way into heaven. You're not doing enough good to make yourself acceptable to the Father. But let me, let me throw two, two theological terms your way so that you can understand the difference between the two. One of these terms is called positional sanctification or positional holiness. And what that means is that positionally, because if I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I said, I'm going to follow Him and I believe in Him for the forgiveness of my sins. Positionally, in Christ, that's enough. I am found completely holy and just before God. Not because of anything I've done, not because of my actions, but because I am in Christ. And so the Father sees His Son, I'm positionally in Him. But there's another aspect or another part to sanctification and holiness, which is termed progressive holiness, progressive sanctification. And that is the progress that is made as I'm transformed into the image of Jesus Christ as I disciple with Him. So there's two terms. Positionally, I'm in Christ. I'm not working my way into heaven. Right now, if Jesus comes, He is my Lord and Savior, I'm good enough. It's enough. It's what Jesus has done is enough. We're going to receive from the communion table in just a moment, and that's a recognition. Jesus, you're enough. You make me holy and righteous and acceptable before the Father. But the other part of that is that there is this work of holiness, this work of sanctification that is taking place in my life that is that discipleship piece that I'm being transformed more into His image as I work out my salvation through fear and trembling, as Scripture would identify, that I am made more in the image of Christ as I live and breathe in His image. Do you see the difference between the two? Positional, progressive. It's the second one that I'm talking about. So in Christ, you are whole. We're not working for anything to be acceptable to God. We are loved. We are enough. In Jesus Christ, He accepts us. So let me, let me clear the air of that. We're not talking about a works that is going to make you more loved by your Heavenly Father. He could not possibly love you any more than He loves you right now. In fact, He loved you before you accepted His Son. He loved you enough to give you His Son. And Jesus loved you enough to lay down His life for you. And so positionally, you are loved and embraced by your Heavenly Father. But what we're talking about is the insides. This inside stuff. So when it says that we are a new creation in Christ, what it's saying is in that moment, you have a new spirit. You're no longer dead man or dead woman walking. You are now alive, made alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because you have a new spirit within you. And so you, you're living in the kingdom of God. But listen, one thing I know about myself, and I hope you realize about this about yourself, is that everything about the way you were parented and brought up and everything about your life up to that point didn't somehow just 
mystically disappear and fade away. You brought with you the old life. And it didn't just all get slid off to the side and you just said, now I'm just living for Jesus and it's all free and easy. Jesus intends for it to be that way. He's calling you to that life of living lightly and freely. But it's a life, hear this word, discipleship. It's a life of discipling, following in the way of Jesus where that old stuff gets, some of it gets shed and you learn a new way to live in God's family. We go back to that image of adoption. When children get adopted into a family, they receive that family's name. They, they are embraced by that family. They're now a child, a son, a daughter in that family. But that doesn't mean that the family that they had and the point of origin just somehow disappeared. They now have to learn what it means to live in this new family. They learn how to be reparented according to this new mother, this new father. It's the same experience for us in Jesus Christ, except, except this. We have the power of the Holy Spirit who is instructing us and teaching us and empowering us to do this. Isn't that awesome? We go back to the point, it's not on you to figure out well, I don't know what God wants. It's just some game He's playing with me, and somehow I just have to figure it out, and I don't, know, I don't even know what it looks like, and I don't know how to do it, and, and I seem like I just keep failing and failing. Listen, that's not what Jesus Christ has called us to. This life that He calls us to is an empowering from the Holy Spirit to follow in the steps of Jesus, and He's going to empower us, He's going to teach us, and He's going to lead us in that pathway. Our part, here's one of the things that we need to do, and we're going to do this over the next few weeks. Our part, getting beneath the surface of your life requires a deeper look at your past, at your pain points, and how others experience you. That's part of that issue. So many of us in the body of Christ, what we wanted to do, and I know this about myself, what I wanted to do was say, great, the old is gone, whoosh. I don't even have to pay attention to that anymore. But you know what kept happening? Is people kept experiencing the life that I grew up in and not the transformed life of Jesus Christ. (laughs) And I kept thinking, why? (laughs) Why do people keep experiencing the old me? Because it's a new me. Listen, the Christian life isn't, isn't two separate lives. It's one life. Jesus makes us whole. He gives us a new life in Him that is to be reparented under our Heavenly Father. We're adopted into the family, and then our partnership with Him is this process of being discipled into His family. Do you see the the difference? It's important that you get a hold of this because some people fight this so much. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. Past is in the past. It matters. You know why? Because people experience your past through you. Until you're ready to deal with it, until you're ready to apply discipleship through how you were brought up and the experience you've had, your pain points. How did you deal with the difficulties that you've gone through in life? Did you cut and run? Because my guess is, if you're a follower of Jesus, now when a pain point comes, you cut and run. Unless you're reparented to do it a different way. How do you handle pressure situations to 
to allow patience to be, to be developed? Do you say, okay, I'm supposed to be patient because that's what Jesus wants me to do, so I'm patient right now. But then it spills out later on in all the people in your family? Listen, that's not transformational. That's just misappropriating the anger and the frustration you have on other people in your life. If you want to be reparented, we go back and we say, Lord, what was taught, me, taught to me in my upbringing about how to deal with the pain points in my life, the pressure points? Because I want you to reparent me in the image of Jesus Christ. I want your Holy Spirit to so fill me that it just doesn't get displaced and change and get a Christian label slapped on it. I really want patience to be the outgrowth of my life so that the people around me experience this new life that you have purchased for me. So these things are challenging. And that's why it's not just one message and we're just going to say, let's go fix it. We're going to talk about this a little bit over the next few weeks. How do, how do people experience me? Do you have people like that will give you good feedback? What I mean by that is, do people find me abrasive? Do people find me impatient? Do people find me actually gentle and compassionate? How do, how do my kids experience my interactions in, in life? How, how does my spouse, if I'm married, how do they experience? What is it like to be my friend, even when I'm going through trauma or difficult situations? What's it like to be a friend of Andy? Do I have people that I could ask those questions to, and they could tell me what life is like to be around me? When I walk into a space, how do, you, how, how do people know if it's been tense? Jerry tells me the other day, I walk into the room, my wife tells me, she goes, what's wrong? <laughs> and I'm thinking, that's not fair. <laughs> you see it. She sees it on my face. She experiences when I have tension and when I bring it into the room and how I start to talk or I look, right? These things, they, they come out of us just like the fruit of the Spirit can come out of us. Do you have a way? Do you have a willingness to look at your... And some of you would say, it's too painful. I don't want to go back, Andy. I just want to go forward. It's too, it's too painful. I would encourage you to really pray about next steps of what God would have you do. Oftentimes, there's a friend or somebody who knows you who would walk with you through that and see what that is like. Uh, I've even recommended, and I think it's an encouraging thing to find a Christian counselor. If you've been through, I've known people who have been through very traumatic situations, have never spoken to anything, anybody about it. They just figured, I'll just move on. They've never experienced true healing through Jesus Christ. They just said, it's in the past, I don't want to deal with it. And yet, it keeps popping up in their life. Discipleship says, my life is open. There's no point that you can put your finger on that was bruised or broken, that is now not healed. Where it's, it may be tender, but there's healing, and I can see where God is moving through. So if there's points in your life, here's our point of response. I want us to reflect as we hold the cup and hold the bread, as we're going to receive communion together. Say, Lord, first of all, you're enough for me. What you have purchased for me is sufficient. Positionally, I am whole in Jesus Christ. But Lord, what about my discipleship going forward? Are there areas of my life where the broken body, the, the, the uh, offered up body of Christ, 
and the shed blood of Christ, are there places where it still looks a whole lot more like me or my dad or my mom or my, uh, my family of origin and not the kingdom of God than it does you? Lord, I want to bring those before you and allow you to transform me.